Um, so praise God, church. Now turn to your neighbor and share one thing you've done so far from the book of Philippians. I hope they they were able to say there is something they've done. If there is none, then there is a problem because when the word of God comes, it, it's a call upon us to act. Amen? Yeah, so we should act upon the word. I wish I could hear that they have 50 people signed up for serving. Mm-hmm. There is no amen there. <laughs> so we have been in the book of uh, the book of Philippians. If you are new among us this morning, and a quick recap is that we all know it is a book written by Paul to the churches at Philippi. And he's writing to them as a response for having sent their pastor over there called Epaphroditus to go check on the affairs of Paul who by now when he's writing he's in a prison in Rome. We have tackled joy in suffering, joy in serving, joy in believing. But what bothers me the most is the question I asked you earlier. How many principles, what principle have you picked from the book, the book of Philippians that you have applied in your life? I began by saying in the first service, uh, in my life there are three people I know I cannot lie to. That is Satan, God and myself. All right? Now you know you can't lie to God because he knows all, he sees all. You can't lie to Satan because he's the one who's given you the thought to lie actually. So you can't lie to him. And you can't lie to yourself. Actually now the worst person on this earth is the one who's lying to himself. So if we keep doing things religiously, (laughs) it basically means we stay the same way. Amen? Now with the desire that I have that I desire to change, that I want to see change. But if I don't action out, I still remain in the same hole that I'm in. So this book is full of principles. We've gotten to learn, if you've read through the book, that number one, that it's important to follow up on the converts who we have led to Christ. How many people have you led to Christ? When Paul is writing this book, he refers to Timothy. When you read Philippians 1, verse 1, and 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, you realize that Paul is addressing Timothy as a convert, a co-worker, and a son. Amen? A convert, a co-worker, a son. Now, Paul is detailing the fact that since Timothy gave his life to Christ, he has walked with him. He saw him. He is the one who led him to Christ. I believe so. 
Now they have walked together. They have worked together. He is now a son to him. Amen? I said in the first service, if your child doesn't walk like you, every time, now this is, this is normal all over. There are mannerisms we see in our children that depict us. Now Pastor Peter doesn't have to keep looking at Lemuel and trying to figure out. There are things that Lemuel does that Pastor Peter knows automatically. <laughs> this, was, this is me. These are the things I... Now when Paul is referring to Timothy as a son, it's because Timothy is walking in the same way his spiritual father is walking. Amen? The examples we saw there. Number two, we've gotten to learn that chains and affliction can never curtail or deter a reborn spirit. Paul is writing from prison. He's saying his circumstances have not deterred the work of God. He's saying what he's going through, the pain he's facing, the suffering, the desire in his heart to be with the believers, the freedom he longs for that he doesn't have. He's saying that a reborn spirit goes beyond limitations. Amen? Oh, if you are a believer this morning, you know that God has redeemed you and he has broken every limitation in your life. Basically, we are limiting ourselves. Amen? Number three, that a Christian's life belongs to God. Jesus ransomed you. The word ransom comes from, I use this analogy in the first service, that your soul is on auction. The bell is going. But then he steps in and purchases you from the auction. When your soul was marked for destruction, he stepped in and ransomed you unto life. Now once something is ransomed, it can't live on its own rights anymore. Amen? It lives by the rights of the one who ransomed it. And this person that has ransomed you, he's not taking you to slavery to destroy you. He's bringing you unto unveiling the glory within. Oh. Amen. Number four, victory in Christian living is only possible when we develop the mind of Christ. Now there has been a go, uh, saying going around that no human is limited. Now, I tell you the truth, all humans are limited but in the hands of the Lord. He unleashes your potential. Amen? Number five, Christ is a prize for the believers. If there is anything we desire to gain, if there is anything we desire to achieve, if there is a goal we press forward to, it is achieving Christ. Because God's business is making you to be like his son. He is investing in you to make you like his son. He is beautifying you.
to remove the stains, to remove the struggles until the day he appears, you shall be like his son. Oh, amen? That is what this book is calling us to become. Today we are in Philippians chapter 4. And Paul proceeds from the previous chapter. From chapter 3, verse 21, he says, When Jesus comes, this is Paul referring to that, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, chapter 4, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Paul is saying that continue in the Lord. Amen? He is saying press on in the Lord. In the previous chapter, we talked about the challenges and how to master challenges. And we say, we say it is through joy that we master challenges. Amen? Now Paul is saying, soldier on and continue in faith. Why? Because you are my crown. Amen? Now Paul is referring to the coming of Christ. And he's saying that day when Christ ascends, he's saying that when he sees you, From the church of, at Philippi. You will be my crown. And that's why he began by saying. How many of us follow through. With the people we bring to Christ. Paul is saying to us. This is your crown. In heaven. Amen. When you see these people. In heaven. It is amazing joy. He's saying that is your crown. When you see your family. In heaven. Pastor David. He's saying that is your crown. So he's saying the investment that I put in you, soldier on and continue in it. Amen? But we also come to the second reason why Paul writes this letter. Paul is writing this letter to solve a conflict that has risen in the church at Philippi. Verse 2. Now I appeal to you, dear and Sinteki, Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Paul is saying that so long as you are a believer, number one, your name is written in the book of life. Amen. So he's saying no matter the circumstances, no matter the challenges, rest assured that your name is written in the book of life. But he's addressing an issue that is between these two ladies. Now it's amazing because Paul is teaching us how to solve conflicts. In our midst, in the church. There is no single place in that letter Paul has written to Sinteki and Yudia. Amen? He has addressed the whole church. 
beginning with their leaders. Even the person carrying the letter, Epaphroditus, the pastor himself, he's addressed in the letter. Basically, Paul is saying that the church as a community has a responsibility to end conflicts within itself. Amen? He's saying you don't call aside a brother to make them understand your pain. Alright? Or your sister doesn't come to you and tell you, I understand the offense. He's saying instead of that, I write to the whole church to rise up, forget the factions. Amen? And bring these two lovely ladies together. That is how we solve conflict. But their names give us an indication of how it is hard to avoid conflicts in church. Alright? Now the name Yudia means the one on a journey. The name Sinteki means an accident. Alright? So it is hard for you to be on a journey <laughs> and avoid meeting an accident. Alright? That is what Paul is writing here. But he's saying that even though there may be accidents on this journey, even though there may be sintiki in your journey, he's saying there is also a laborer among you. But he's also saying there is Clement, whose name means merciful one. He will show mercy. <laughs> Alright, amen. Ask your neighbor, are you a a co-laborer. Because a co-laborer's work is to make sure these conflicts do not do what? Escalate. Alright? But bring people together. So Paul is teaching us a number of things. That when you solve a problem, number one, problems are solved in which manner? He says, as we refer to Luke 17.1, which says, Jesus said, offense will. Huh? He said, offense will. In other words, whether you, you believe it or not, he said, look out, it is coming. All right? In other words, you will not avoid who? Sinteki. <laughs> on this journey, you will meet her. On this journey, you will meet him. On this journey. He's saying, offense is given. It will come. But he gives us how to solve this conflict. Number one, by growing in love. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Philippians 2 and verse 2. You'll read at home. Number two, by avoiding pride. Self-promotion. He's saying avoid self-promotion. And that is why he told us that he considered all even his achievements as This foundation, this house was laid by Pastor David in the year. So because of that, he has a stake. Basically, Paul is saying that's not how things work. Self-promotion, avoid it. He's saying avoid pride. That is Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Number 3, by walking in the mind of Christ. Who was God, yet did not... Consider it equality with God. He considered others than himself. This is how we avoid 
conflicts. That's what Paul is teaching us that. Number four, by letting go of the past. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Number five, by being joyful in whatever season. Philippians 4, 4. This is how we achieve harmony among believers. I'm going to read from verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Live right. Put things in order. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us this. That joy is a source of power to a believer. Nehemiah 8, 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Isaiah 12, 3 says that, Therefore now draw with joy from the spring of salvation. In other words, your salvation has life. Your salvation has supplies. Amen? Now God didn't save you. And then he couldn't look after you. So the salvation package has all we need. All our cares are catered for. But the Bible says in Isaiah 12, 3, that the only way you draw from that spring is with a bucket of joy. So joy is the power to live the Christian life. But most importantly, joy is activated through prayer. That's what Paul is saying there. He's saying, we were anxious today. You are fearful today. Why? You haven't prayed. You remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. But he's saying you're anxious. You're fearful because you have not prayed. And he's saying when you pray, you pray about everything. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all, and in all, acknowledge him, and he shall make your path straight. In all your ways. It means even when you're clothing in the morning. Pastor Peter, you ask him, should I wear blue? That, that's what the Bible is saying. Every small detail. Should I take a left or a right? That's what the Bible is saying. So the Bible says that we get anxious when we don't pray. Amen? Now, we lose anxiety when we know that these issues have been placed in the hands of God. That is what prayer is. These issues have been trusted in the hands of God. 
who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever now if you are anxious because of our thoughts the bible is saying God can do exceedingly and abundantly above so Paul is saying the only way to beat it is through prayer so joy is a power for Christian living but that power is activated through prayer amen Tell your neighbor that. Turn and tell your neighbor that. That is, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Tell, tell your neighbor that. Tell your neighbor and tell them pray. Pray, pray, pray. Alright? Number three. Paul is telling us in this portion that it is a believer's responsibility to feed his mind with the right thoughts. Let's go back there. And now, my brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting it into practice all you have learned and received from me. What is Paul saying? That after we have prayed, what is he now saying? Shift your attention. Alright? <laughs> that is what Paul is saying. Shift your attention from the pain. Shift your attention from the loss. Alright? Now, fix your mind on other things. And these things, he names them. Alright? Now, we said in the first service, the word fix is an action word. Alright? So it means I take my mind and fix it. Okay? Fix on those things. So Christ will not help you. Alright? To take your mind there. It is a personal responsibility. That is what Paul is writing here. That you must have pure thoughts. Alright? He's saying you must change the narrative. Don't sing about the failure and the pain. He's saying shift your mind once you've prayed. How do we do that? Through thanksgiving. That's what he says there, alright? Bible says in Psalm 100 and verse 4, how do you enter his gates? And his courts with? So in other words, before you even enter the gate, assuming you are coming to K3C, so Pastor David has laid a rule at the gate <laughs> for the soldier to open <laughs> only when you come with thanksgiving. Now if you come there whining, oh no man, I don't know, do you guys open the gate, man? Uh, do you uh, you need an ID before you open. The rule is there saying the person must be thankful. Alright? So you come saying, oh, thank you. Oh, this is a lovely place. Thank you. Hey, when I reach here, my problems melt away. So the God, that's what the Bible is saying. In other words, if you whine, God, put on headphones. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for that. It's just illustration in my head. And he doesn't pay attention. Amen? That is what Paul is telling us. Now today's topic is joy and giving. And from verse 10, Paul dives in to speak about this topic. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me. 
But you didn't have a chance to help me. Now Paul is either saying two things. That number one, the believers at Philippi didn't know where he was. Because remember, he was arrested and it was a long journey all the way to Rome. Amen? So either he's saying they didn't know where he was, so they couldn't come to aid him the way they did. Alright? Or number two, they didn't know there was a need to be met until now. Remember, the pastor whom they've sent, Epaphroditus, has gone to check on Paul. Why? Because they had his in prison. Alright? So they wondered what happened. Whoa, whoa. Paul is in prison. My goodness. We need to see what is going on. Alright? Guys, bring money together so they get money, a package, and say, no, 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 we need to go check on his welfare. Is he feeding? Is he clothed? Is he wearing shoes? What is happening to him? So they are concerned. So they send their pastor. So he's telling them that when an opportunity came, you have shown up. But also he's quickly adding and saying that their giving actually is for their good. He's telling them, I have learned. What has he learned? How to master his desires. All right? So he's quickly saying that he was not sitting, waiting, and praying that the church at Philippi will send help. No. That, that's what he's writing there. All right? He says this from verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content, content with whatever I have. I know how to live almost with nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full, uh, with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul is saying that his satisfaction is in Christ. Amen? That having Christ satisfies me. Having Christ satisfies me. I find my satisfaction through Jesus. Alright? So I was not looking for a gift. I didn't coerce you to give. I didn't send a memo that you raise money. Alright? But he's saying quickly that in case you get offended by the words I have said, tells them that you are the first church that supported me. And twice at Thessaloniki you came through for me. Other translation says that over a year you supported me. So he's saying don't be offended. You are amazing people. You've always looked out for me. But he has to underscore the fact that his satisfaction is in Christ alone. He says that I've learned to master my desires. I am not driven by my desires. I don't go around looking at what I don't have. That's what he's saying. He says I'm thankful for what I have. Christ has taught me to be satisfied in him. Amen? And from that is when he makes the statement that we like quoting, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So the statement doesn't mean that God will empower you to get whatever you want. No! The statement comes from a background where Paul is saying that because God has taught you how to master your desires, alright, you can do everything through him who strengthens you. You can overpower the addiction through him who strengthens you. You can overcome tests and trials because of him who strengthens you. I wish someone said amen. Amen? But when we talk about giving, Paul is quick also to mention how this church has given when they didn't have much. They sacrificed to give to him. So this afternoon, I wanted to look quickly at what the word sacrifice in giving really means. Number one, the word sacrifice in giving means that it is only a sacrifice when it is given by a giver who has a need. Amen? Now, if you are satisfied, catered for giving out of surplus, that is no sacrificial. From the Bible, the one who gives sacrificially is the one who gives when they have a need. Now, for all of us, I know there are so many things we can do with money, alright? Now, even the one you give, okay? Now, the other people say, no, this one was meant to take my children for swim. God, now, what should I do? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul writes and talks about giving. He says if you are debating that way, don't give. Leave it. Amen? Because there is no blessing there. He says don't give it. He says before you give, at the beginning of the week, alright? <laughs> you set aside, this is for the Lord. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Now he says when you come to church, then oh, it's giving time, then you check, oh no. You don't have some change. Oh no. He says, don't give. Because there is no reward in that. He says, <laughs> oh, Amen. Let's, let me not go there. I don't want to step on your toes. Second Kings 4. When you read Second Kings 4, huh? I step, I step. <laughs> Second Kings 4. This woman had only a little flower left. And when the man of God came and said, hey, 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 make a cake and bring it to me, said, you are serious? Yeah, I'm serious, but it is our last meal. You make it first for me. Now it looks like this man of God is... <laughs> Because he put, she put God first. God responded. So sacrificial meaning, uh, giving rather, is mostly given when the giver has needs. <laughs> so you have needs, but you give. Amen? The widow had needs, but she gave. Now she needed a meal. Her 
son needed a meal. But she gave. Number three, it is also good to note that sacrificially giving has never left us poorer than we were before he gave. Now the lady who put coins in and Jesus said, how are those coins going to help? We're not going to help in any But Paul is quick to say how when we give sacrificially, God responds. Now it's one thing to say that you give. But it's another thing to note what God will do when you give. And Paul is quick to tell them, this is how God responds when you give to him sacrificially. Number one, that he is a God of more than enough. And he will meet now all of your needs. Now the widow's need was hunger that particular time. But now when God came in, she was sustained also. Actually the Bible says she sold some. Oh, amen. So she made profit. Remember she only had little flour to sustain her for that meal. But now she's made profit. He's a God of more than enough. There is no single place in the scripture. God responded and there was no surplus. There was always surplus. Five loaves of bread, two fish. What happened? Surplus. What about manna in the wilderness? More than enough for you to eat. Actually, say, don't worry about tomorrow. You leave it. Do you want to eat today? Till you burst. Go for it. Because tomorrow is assured. That is God. Number two. He will meet those needs with the heavenly standard. Amen? The heavenly scale. <laughs> Can you imagine? Luke 6, 38. Number three, you can never outgive God. I said in the first service, in the principles of giving, the Old Testament, look at uh, uh, what was her name? The Queen of Sheba and Solomon. So you used to go take your gifts to the other king, alright? So, you know God calls you a king. You are a king on earth. Do you believe that? You believe, alright? You are a king on earth. You reign. Because when he says you have dominion, a king has dominion. You rule over situation, amen? You rule, you reign. So this was how it happened. That now the queen of Sheba carries her gifts to go visit Solomon, alright? But when you get there, the Bible says when she came back, she was wowed. Alright? So that's how kings gave to each other. Now can you imagine if you dare God that as a king, I'm giving. Now he responds with the standard of of a king in heaven. Oh, amen. He responds with the standard of a king in heaven. So you can never outgive him. He will always outgive you. Amen. Nothing lacking, nothing missing. 
nothing lacking. Nothing missing. People of God, if these principles, we practice them, our lives will be different. Amen? But if we come begrudgingly, if you're debating about the check, the amount, gross, net, the Bible is saying don't give it. You're actually wasting your time. Number one, you are saying you give yourself life. So it's okay. Number two, you are saying that whatever I have will sustain me forever, eternally. That's what you're saying. Should I, can I say the truth? That's what you're telling God. So I give myself life. I'll sustain myself eternally. I don't need you. Sometimes it is important to tell us the truth. Now finally, Paul comes to an end by sending greetings. He says again, give my greetings to each of God's holy people. All who belong to Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in, the, in Caesar's household. Now Paul is sending greetings, but what is he answering to? Remember they responded because he was in prison, alright? And they were quick to check, so how will this gospel go on if this man of God is in prison? Amen? So he's writing to them, finally saying that even though I'm in prison, take heart. Amen? Why? Because here in prison, there is a church. That's what he's saying. So he's saying that no chains, nothing, affliction, pain, could not stop the work of God. Here in prison, people are getting saved. Converts are adding. Receive greetings now from a church here. That's what he's saying. But on top of it, he says, he reminds them that may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's telling them that the grace of Jesus Christ is able to empower you to live this spiritual life. Oh, amen. Now, brothers and sisters, we have come to the end of the book of Philippians. He ends by saying, Amen. He has confidence. Alright? Amen. He says, Amen. Saying that, that is how it shall be. It has no otherwise. There is nothing to be added on it. He's so confident that this church will live in the way he's written the letter. Is Christ confident that tell Dakimathi, you will bring forth his mission in your life? Is Christ confident that you will carry it to the end? Is he saying, Amen, Amen? Kaleche will do it, Amen, Amen. So shall it be. Is he rested like that? Brothers and sisters, the secret, the Bible says, is remaining in the love of God. Jesus says in John 15 that my father's love empowered me to be who I am, to do what I'm doing. Let my love empower you to do my work. May his love empower you. Let's bow our heads.